0: In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick-and-mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat.
1: Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Uh, Today we have a special guest with us, Carlos Castellan, founding and managing director of the Navio Group. Carlos, welcome. Bobby, it's a pleasure to be here today. Likewise, likewise. Thanks for taking the time. Um, you know, before we get started, I actually was reading about your company and uh, just the origin of the world Navio and all that. If you don't mind, give giving our listeners a little bit of a uh, of that origin and how you how you started the company initially. We
0: founded the company, you know, a little over two years ago today, serving retailers uh, basically anywhere from three hundred million dollars and up. We we've kind of worked with a variety of clients. Mostly, most of them are in the you know Fortune one thousand. I would say. So the word Navio really comes from the old explorers that would use ships to go out and, and chart new courses. And so we like to think of the work that we do helping retailers do that as well, sort of navigate and, and sort of find a new path for them, uh, especially given all the changes happening in the world today. We we are there to, to help serve clients and, and help them transform their
1: business and go to whatever destination they're at. Awesome. 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 Again, welcome. I think as you're kind of working with your different clients, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in customer consumer behavior over you know, over this COVID time, but but also kind of even pre- previous to this, over the last few years.
0: So I think starting with you know what's happened over the last call it two months or so, I, I think one of the biggest changes we've we've obviously seen is y- you have the stores and malls that are that are being shut down right now without traffic. I think if we start to look at what's happening outside of the U.S., I think that probably serves as a decent model for what will happen on the back end, in the sense that. You know, I think there's going to be. It's not like if the malls open or stores open tomorrow, people are going to come flooding back in the door to go there. So I think a couple of things that are going to have to happen is one, I think the safety protocols for employees and customers around cleaning is going to be really important going forward uh, to to maintain that level. It's almost going to become a necessity. You know, whereas you kind of hear the stories about clean bathrooms and that was, you know, oftentimes how people decided where to go to gas stations or convenience stores. I think that's going to be. The cleanliness factor is going to be really important for for retailers going forward. But we've also seen, obviously, is a lot of delivery options or e-commerce options, uh, you know, for curbside fulfillment, as well as then, you know, any sort of capabilities online that allow for easier basically customer ordering, I think that's gonna to continue to happen. So retailers that are making those investments, you've seen Target and Walmart that actually started doing a lot more of the curbside pickup uh, over the last couple of years and that stuff has really taken off and I think that they're well positioned now. So all this to say, I think everything that's happened before in terms of those investments around e-commerce are gonna be remain important. And I think this has really continued to shift more power into the consumer's hands in terms of how they make options and, and decisions
1: around buying in retail. How temporary do you think these changes are? Are they temporary, or are they the new norm? What is what is your insight?
0: In the sense of uh, the e-commerce part, or the the cleanliness, or
1: well, yeah, cleanliness. You know, the changes that the retailers are making right now, and the, you know, the, like you said, in the last two months, is, are these going to be the new kind of norm? The cleanliness factor and always having a focus on that, kind of driving uh, a little bit of e-commerce strategy into their brick and mortar strategy. Is that the new norm, or is is it going to change? You think?
0: It's hard to know. I do think the cleanliness piece is going to be really important. You know, if you think about at least my own experience as a consumer, and I'd be curious to get your take, but the stores that I would gravitate to were the ones always that were well-organized, well-stocked, that sort of had a nice appearance that was pleasant to walk through. Because the alternative is, and it's easy for you to go online and search and, and find those items. So I think that's going to continue to happen. And even more so, you know, I think that all kind of plays a part in, in cleanliness. You sort of notice that when you walk in the door. And I think there's going to be even more of that going forward. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's your your experience as well, but that was... No, my know.
1: experience as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I, and, I, and I think a part of that is like merchandising, of course, in retail is very important. You know, how I'm communicating with my customers is important. So I think those things will, will definitely be areas that are, you know, things that are focus areas for consumers nowadays, but they will continue to be one of the areas that I think is important to focus on a high level on on an ongoing basis. I think uh, think people are going to look to that and to retailers that actually adopt those. What do you think are some long-term changes uh, we can expect to see in, in, in retail?
0: I think one of the things that, you know, and I know people, a lot of there's a lot of stories out there about this, but I do think it's true. The U.S., you know, before this was over retailed in the sense there was way too much square footage. And then you sort of added on the e-commerce piece where people could purchase online and have a, a multitude of options. So I think you're going to continue to see that shrinking retail footprint across the country. There's, you know, a lot of chatter already or, or of, of retailers that are either filing or have filed for bankruptcy I think you're going to see an acceleration in store closures, particularly with retailers in more discretionary categories like apparel, where that they're just going to be a little bit more balanced, I think, in in that sense. So how, you know, I think how that trickles down to is in the malls are going to look, there's potential for that to look different. Uh, One of the things that we've been monitoring and and we'll be really curious about. um, So before the, the, you know, before COVID hit, malls were are generally shifting over to more of an entertainment model so in some areas close to 50-50 retail and entertainment and how that holds up after this uh, i think will be interesting to see i think there will be even more of a need for entertainment on the back end you know but it might take a little bit for people to feel comfortable going into those spaces to go to you know call it an amusement park like we have near here at the mall of america or you know, any of the the variety of different options that are out there for for consumers in that entertainment space in, in
1: the mall. It's interesting because uh, with retail, we always talk about experiences and how that draws people and how you have to focus on your customer and focus on the experiences that actually drawing those customers to create loyalty. But I think even more so now in the next you know few years and, and beyond, it's gonna be important that merge of like entertainment and and how I connect with my customer whatever that means for the different customer in the different areas, I think is important. How do you think, uh, you know, you, you said, you know, we're over retailed here in the US and, and one of the areas that we'll probably see shifting is some retailers that can't make it, but how can some retailers that want to make it, uh, you know, shift some of their strategies so they're in a, in a good place coming out of COVID, but also kind of long-term?
0: it starts with looking at the the retail footprint. So I think that's obviously one, one key thing. Can you shift some of that online? What do your stores look like? What are you offering in your stores going forward and, and running sort of more tests out of this? One of the things that we're, we're starting to talk about with our clients is understanding the impact that this has had on your customer as, as a retailer. So I think if you understand that, you know, that's gonna look different for grocers than it is for apparel, than it is for home furnishings, it's going to look very different so having a handle on that i think allows you then to make sort of those informed decisions on the back end but i do think that this whole process is going to necessitate the acceleration of, of any sort of e-commerce investments i think that that is you know regardless i think of the the company that's going to be really important so whether that becomes You know, if you're a retailer that needs to figure out how to do fulfillment from your stores, I think that will be important, better sort of demand planning in terms of mix across e-commerce and stores. So it's not necessarily, I think, anything crazy on the front end. I think it's a lot of it is sort of the nuts and bolts of of, of retailing. But I think that that's going to be continue to be even more important to serve customers more effectively and make it even more frictionless for, for them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to another another guest uh, yesterday, and, and one of the things that they were saying is, you know, they had read a stat, I think it was the New York Times, that said that after, you know, people are allowed to get out there and shop again in brick and mortar locations, one of the areas of focus for them is, on one side, they said consumers actually have more, want to get out more and actually shop more in locations just because they want to get out of the house. But the other part is, they're thinking that these Brand experiences in locations are going to be a lot more important. And even if I come into a location and I end up buying online, me actually seeing the product uh, and being educated in store is is a lot more important than it used to be. What are your thoughts around that? Is that is that important yet in your mind, or with the clients that you've been working with, uh, or do you think there's just going to be that healthy shift between customers kind of buying buying online?
0: I think. I mean, I think in in a lot of cases for certain things, you know, as an example with grocery, I would imagine a world where one of the biggest obstacles in grocery was actually getting people to purchase online and, and use the system and pick up. And so now that people have utilized it, I think they realize, oh, this is pretty convenient. And so as an example, if you're going to the grocery store day of to purchase some items for to make a meal that night, you know, it might be just as easy to purchase that online and get and go pick it up. So I think those sort of changes might continue to happen. On the flip side, I, I do think I agree with you on that, you know, My dad's birthday was last week, and so we were getting him, you know, on on the personal story. But we were getting him cologne, and we were trying to figure out, okay, what would be a good one to do. And there's no way to recreate that experience when you're when you're shopping online. And so I think that speaks to what you're saying about that power of going in, feeling and touching and seeing things. And I think in you know particular categories, you know, beauty is one of them. You think about probably electronics too, to some extent. You know, so there's a variety of ones I'm sure that are out there that where it's going to be even more important. And so. If I take it a step further based on, you know, what we were talking about earlier, I think the cleanliness piece or the, the sort of well merchandising piece is going to become even more a part of what that experience looks like. If it looks clean, if it looks nice and it's well presented, I think that's going to you know, be all part of why people are going to want to come into the stores and try those
1: products. Yeah, I know. Totally. Exactly. Uh, I think the cleanliness and the merchandising is very important. Uh, I, was like, I was talking to one retailer that's even going one step farther and putting you know, on each, each of the racks, uh, their clothing retailer. Each of the racks are saying where the origins of that fabric is coming from and like that story. So I think that's also resonates with, you know, with people coming in store and kind of learning more where. They could still get that online if they Google, but you know, coming in and learning about that in a very immersive experience, I think is is important for retailers.
0: Yeah. To add to that, one thing I was going to say was I, I saw something recently where customers still care about sustainability coming out of this. So to your point, if, if that is conveyed in a way in the store or in other places, I think that's still going to happen regardless. And so I, you're right. I think that yeah. signage, the communication of the story is going, to be, is going to be
1: critical. It's going to be important. Yeah. Carlos, what, what do retailers get wrong when it comes to, and I know Omnichannel is kind of a buzzword, but in creating that existence online and offline uh, in their brands, what, what, what do they get wrong?
0: I think oftentimes it's easy to lose sight of the customer in a lot of these. So maybe you do these initiatives and you go with a system or you go with something else because it's more convenient or it's cheaper or provides better margin or those sort of things. I think at the end of the day, you have to understand that the customer is number one on this. And so when you're doing these changes, they have to be to the benefit of the customer. It has to make their life simplified and more easy. So I think that that's a really important thing. You know, we see a lot of and I'm sure you've seen this when companies go to private label, as an example, a lot of times people do it because it provides higher margin for the retailer. But I think the ones that do it really well provide tremendous value for customers in a way that you're almost surprised that you're getting something as a yeah. customer that's so high quality but at a great price. So I think Costco does a great job of this with their, you know, products as an example. Whole Foods is another one that I know has spent a ton of money on private label but they haven't changed any of the formulation. In fact, they try and make it better than the branded product as a result. So I think those are, you know, as I think about those things, I think that's really important that when you're making these changes, it's to the benefit of the, the customer and, and less so about the company margin or those sort of things, especially today where we're in this, we're sort of in, in this environment.
1: If you had to give, you know, two or three pieces of advice to, for best practices to retailers that they can implement today or start to get, sort to get ready so they can implement as soon as you know stores open back up. Uh, what would those pieces of advice be? Yeah, I think
0: you know number 1 and a lot of companies are already doing this today, but is working with those frontline retail employees to understand, you know, make sure that they're safe, that they're able to serve customers, that there's sort of there's a good program in place. So I, there's been a lot of retailers that have stepped up to the plate to do that. You know, Target made a sizable, I think it was like 300 million dollar investment in their store employees. Walmart did something similar. And I think so. That I think is really critical to make sure that they're there, they're able to, you know, take care of their families and feel safe. But and so, if you kind of meet that, then they're able to help customers. I think the second piece to that then is really understanding how this this whole the last couple months has really impacted customers. You know, going back to that, and so understanding how shopping behavior may have shifted over that time, where priorities are, to then you know, as a third piece, with that information, then being able to make some more informed decisions about. Yeah, you know, store openings, store closures, new processes or standardization that might be needed in the stores, as well as then kind of setting out a roadmap for e-commerce investments, what to do with current inventory. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, you know, as an example, Gap is running 75% off their website. I know they discount product, but it's usually not at 75%. So understanding I think how some of those shifts are occurring so that you can start to put together a plan for the second half of the year is good, knowing that you know sales are probably still gonna be down for that second half of the year. So what do you do as a company to prepare for that and continue to serve your customers that wanna be there really well?
1: Are there areas or things that you think retailers should avoid doing? Of course, there's like this sense of, oh my God, uh, you know, what do I do to, to keep alive and thriving and all that good stuff? And are there areas that you think retailers do that they should avoid focusing on?
0: I think what's been great to see in a lot of ways is how much private businesses and retailers have stepped up in a lot of ways to help help out and, and show some of that leadership, at least from my perspective. So I haven't seen anything out there that really has made me sort of question that. I think that the biggest thing, you know, and less or and less so I would say of a like shouldn't do but should just really be cognizant about is how companies are, you know, treating their employees and then how they're communicating with customers. I think those two things are really really important for the sort of the long-term health of the business. I think customers will remember the companies that were there for them during this and that treated their employees well so that when they're ready to to shop again or spend money with those companies, I think they'll be well positioned. You know, I think about the travel industry with, you know, Marriott and Delta where those businesses are just getting hit even harder than than most retailers, but I think their leadership did a really good job communicating to customers, you know, in the case of Delta, I know that they were issuing credit for people to spend and they've extended the period when you can spend that money. So I think those sort of things are really important to be sort of customer centric and do sort of those right things for your customer. So I would say that's probably the most important thing is to do that and sort of avoid areas where you're not communicating well with your employees
1: and your customers. As you've been working with different clients, uh, do you have like a favorite in-store experience that you've seen?
0: You know, <laughs> it's funny. One of the ones at least that I've seen that I think has been done really well, you. I've gone to several different grocers throughout this just to kind of get a sense for how people are are doing this differently. I think Whole Foods has actually done a really good job of providing a safe, clean environment. So as an example, you, we go into the one near us and you go into the store, they have all the carts, they've already been sanitized by an employee because they're standing right there sort of in the vestibule cleaning carts that are coming out of the store. They have, you know, places to stand for checkout that are six feet apart. They have someone sort of directing traffic for all the folks. And so I think that's been, an, you know, it, it probably is not surprising that Amazon uh, is good at process standardization or doing this across their business. But I think it's been a really impressive way that I've seen or probably the, the best sort of from my perspective for in like at least the, the grocery space in terms of how they've um, that, that are here, at least in Minnesota, that have handled it well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Amazon can't get that much wrong. They, they typically do uh, a good job in everything they're touching nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter what, where the economy goes, Amazon is always thriving, right? It's very interesting. Are there uh, key takeaways they can give to retailers about building that in-store experience? Uh, are there things that they should be doing? I know every brand's different, but are there areas that you would say, Carlos, are very important to kind of integrate within your in-store experience?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm trying to think back, you know, beyond sort of the stuff that we've talked about, I think one of the things that's been super helpful for at least like, as I think about apparel, which has gotten hit hard is visibility to in store product. So if you're a customer and you're looking for a particular item in a particular size, uh, you know, having some way to search online before you go in store and, and seeing if that product is there, I think is really, really helpful because it sort of avoids the frustration of you going into a store and them not having that product. And so I think things like that, where there are these investments that A, sort of help you use your inventory more efficiently, but also B, provide a really good customer experience are important. And so I think those are, those are key things. And then really understanding where there are bottlenecks. So if you're a grocer, as an example, and there's no delivery slots for customers. How do you go put together a plan that opens that up? How do you, you know, maintain some of those those protocols going forward so that you can continue to serve customers and, and raise that awareness to make their life even easier? so I think those are sort of all things and that all come from you know insights and understanding how shopping behavior is is changing amidst this and then sort of where the where some certain areas are that you can continue to make those investments and changes to help customers.
1: Are there technologies? that you've seen being adopted uh, at a faster pace than you had expected initially?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously a lot of what we've been hearing about is is around demand planning and inventory management. I think that is, because that's gonna be changing, I think regardless, you know, and then having a better way to automate that, I think is gonna be really important. So I think we've seen a lot of that. And then as well as, as I think, you know, the second piece to that is how, that communication and execution trickles down to the stores. You know, as people have been working from home for the last, you know, six, six to eight weeks, I think people have noticed it's important to have some of these technology systems in place rather than having it be where you have to do it the old fashioned way, where maybe it's talking to some other person or it lives on a spreadsheet. Having some of that in place, I think people realize is, is really important and actually helps drive efficiency and, and make things even better for the customer.
1: Is there technology that you're most excited about that's coming in the near future that you think, uh, or you know, things that should be coming in the near future that you're most excited about in the retail segment? Yeah, I
0: think you know one of the the ones for like that's customer facing that I, I find really interesting is the essentially like the Amazon Go technology. I know Microsoft is working on a similar version where you can grab product and just walk out and. I think that that sort of serves two things one is it's really easy for customers to use and understand as as they get used to it but i think the second piece to that is it sort of plays into the space here where it's contactless so you can grab product you don't have to sit at a terminal where hundreds of other people have already been and worry is the, the pin pad clean or anything like that you can just grab that and go so i could see that taking off in an even bigger way after this you know and it doesn't work necessarily for all retailers, but in the convenience space, potentially grocery, you know, those sort of areas, it, it could make a lot of sense for those companies to, to consider
1: that or think about that going forward. What's your prediction for what the future of uh, retail looks like? You know, both for, and I know your, your focus area is kind of on larger customers, but larger customers all the way down to, you know, the, the smaller local shops. Uh, what's the prediction for the future of retail?
0: It's a good question. I mean, we talked on some of the, you talked about some of the stuff uh, related to it, but I do think if I were to look ahead 5-10 years, I still think the experience piece is going to be critical. I know that that has really changed here recently, but I think as this comes back, it's going to just accelerate sort of the divide between companies that have a great experience and as well as offer sort of convenient online shopping, and I think people can do convenient online shopping well and that's going to continue to grow, but I think having that great in-store experience is really going to be what differentiates folks. So I think that comes down to having great store employees. Some of the stuff we've talked about, like cleanliness, the wealth stocked merchandise. And then, you know, as you get to smaller retailers, I think finding a way to, to identify new products or uh, products that are sort of unique and differentiated, maybe they're sourced locally, uh, maybe they're new vendors that people haven't heard of. But those sort of things where people can come in and explore and discover new product is going to be even more critical for retailers to be doing.
1: Well, thank you, Carlos. Is there any, any uh, final words, last words that you can tell our listeners about anything I forgot to ask you? No, I think this was great,
0: Bobby. Uh, I'm as curious as anyone to see how this kind of plays out over the second half of the year. But I think um, for at least for me, and I'm sure for you too, this is a a really interesting space to be a part of right now because everything is changing so quickly. So um, it's fun to kind of be at the front and and being able to make some of those changes that that positively impact customers.
1: Absolutely, absolutely help customers as much as we can for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Carlos Castellan, Founder and Managing Director of the Navi Group, thank you much for joining us today. It was a wealth of information. Appreciate you taking the time for our listeners. Likewise. It's a pleasure to speak with you. You too.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.